I'm Robin Crane, and this is the Growing Your Financial Business, The Woman's Way podcast. Listen, I was a financial advisor for over a decade, and I got so sick of the old archaic strategies that your grandpa used to get clients. What the industry teaches today is still so outdated and just doesn't work anymore. So I had to find a better way for myself, and then I got obsessed with sharing these how-tos with other women like me. The stuff I teach doesn't require giving up your life, your sanity, or your family time. I want women like you to have it easier than I had it, so you can thrive in the industry. I've now helped thousands of women grow their financial businesses to multiple six figures, some even seven figures per year. So on this podcast, you're going to get an inside look at how they did it so you can do it too. Let's dive into the show. Welcome back. It's Robin Crane here with Susie Carter, Profit Coach, and her whole whole shindig, her whole deal is about profiting. In fact, she has a book on it. She has a podcast on it. You can check her out. It's called Power Your Profits, book and podcast. You can check all that out. But we're going to talk about it today, the importance of knowing your numbers so you can profit more. Because even what I've noticed, believe it or not, as a financial, past financial recovering, let's say, financial advisor myself, (laughs) and someone who is not necessarily good at the numbers, when I was working with clients, I was always helping them get to get clear on their numbers. I had something called Kim Jim, which stood for know your money to grow your money. And so I knew like the clearer they were about their numbers, the better they would have, you know, the more likely they have a better financial plan, the better they'd be with their emotions around money, all these things. And then I was sometimes guilty of not knowing my numbers. So I know some of you financial advisors out there don't necessarily know your numbers. And so Susie is here to help us really get clear on that and also make it easy for you so that you can profit more from your business. So yeah, tell us a little about you and how you got into this and then we'll go from there. Awesome. Well, this is my 10th business. So I've been, I'm an entrepreneur, been an entrepreneur for 30 years. Love, love, love supporting women, women owned businesses, entrepreneurs growing, building and expanding. Um, I've built two $10 million companies, sold my last business for 10 million to Rutgers Publishing. And my passion is helping entrepreneurs. Like, how do you build a seven, eight figure business, right? If I look at Robin, the market, 88% of small businesses do less than hundred grand a year. And that's all industries. Only 1.7% hit that million dollar mark. And that's a tragedy to me because it doesn't have to be hard. It has to be systemic, right? Follow the system. We know that in so many other areas, but for some reason, especially for women, we want to stick our head in the sand around money. I know your story, you were, you didn't like it around money. My story too. The reason I started teaching this is because it was so hard for me that I'm like, I've got to teach people a better way to do this. And so that's my purpose and passion now, right? And if I look at the book, Power Your Profit, that's my journey from bootstrapping a business to raising money, to raising money, other people's money, taking a company public, right? So there's a whole gamut of how do you bootstrap to big time? How do you really take that, monetize it and live our dream? Because we want to live a dream at the end of the day. Nobody wants to own a J-O-B. But if you look at those statistics, 88% of small businesses own a job. Right. You can go get a job and work, get make more than 100 grand a year if you're really the expert in what you're doing. So I want to teach people how to get freedom, how to really grow a sustainable business, how to scale it and make start making that back of the head money, back of the head money, (laughs) back of the head money. I like that. It's like it's like. It's so good. You got to hit the back of your head. So (laughs) so what were the so you said you sold two businesses for over 10 million? Sold one business for $10 million, two $10 million businesses, and uh, what, seven. One you still have? Uh, this one is a million dollar business that I have now. Uh, huh. The previous one was another training and development company. 
Um, that company we took public. Uh, that was wow. an interesting journey. I don't necessarily know if I recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so. Let's go back to profit for a second because I'm curious too. Because so so much we're we're always taught to grow, 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 right? And I remember when I first became a financial advisor, and I, I was a singer songwriter before. So my first goal was to make sixty thousand dollars a year, which for me at 29 years old was huge. And it was like they looked at me like I was crazy because that's like so such lack of ambition to want to make only 60 grand a year. But for me as a singer songwriter, I was like, I was, if I could make 30 grand, I was rolling in it. So 60 grand was really back of the head money for me. Um, And so there's always this push of like revenue, revenue. And of course, the, the, the firms, the bigger companies, especially when there's this whole payout situation, like most advisors are getting a haircut, you know, because the company's taking this, um, they have a certain payout and all that. So it's like, they want you to make a lot of money and a lot of high revenue, but what we sometimes forget about is that profit. And so I'm curious with your, your background with big companies and even going public, how did you find that you were making more money and there was a higher profit there or you were just spending more money and you still made the same amount as you do with a million dollar business? <laughs> right. I'm just laughing. So right? <laughs> you, don't, you don't, you know, profit is really planned for. And my hardest lesson is I had a million dollar salon and spa. I came from the beauty industry. And that year that we hit a million, we were in every trade magazine, won all the awards, every accolade. We were the shit. And then we lost $70,000 that year. Mm. Like, what the hell? I could go work at McDonald's and make more money than I'm making in this million dollar business. And that day, I just vowed to look at it. It's not enough just to have a million on the top line. You've got to pay yourself a proper paycheck. Right. Meaning, what would you be paid if you were running that job? And then what's your profit? Minimal acceptable is 10 percent. Right. So every year when I'm putting my plan together, my goal is 30 percent profit margin. So I'm basing my sales projections on my profit, not just on the top line. Right. Making sure that I'm being paid what I'm worth, making sure that my team's being paid what they're worth making sure that it's incentivized so that I'm not the one only taking the haircut, right? Mm-hmm. When sales dip or sales drop, you're going to take the haircut. I'm going to take the haircut. Yeah. Right. The, the amazing thing about being an entrepreneur is we do really get to create it, right? We get to invent it, create it, make it happen. And so 10% minimal acceptable, right? In order to grow your business. And that's after everything is paid, even your paycheck is paid. Cause a lot of people go, Oh, I have 20% profit. I'm like, well, what was your paycheck? Right. Well, I don't really pay myself. Okay, oh so it's not profit, right? <laughs> it's not profit. This is real profit. And then people are like, I don't want profit because then you know I have to pay taxes. Exactly. Right. Not necessarily. You're going to pay your taxes anyways. Like, let's be strategic about your taxes. That's where your guys' business comes in, right? right? We refer to you know clients to in, people just like yourself or people that you serve. It's not my area of expertise. I'm going to show you how to make the money, leverage the money. I'll share my wealth strategies. But you've got to have a team of financial people around you. Right. I have a CPA, a bookkeeper, two financial advisors, and, you know, a tax accountant, a tax strategist, or even six people who are helping me build my wealth. Mm -hmm. So it's important that you have the right team around you. And don't settle. Find the right team that you feel comfortable with. You know, I remember starting this conversation, I would meet with financial advisor, my eyes would get wide, like that's going to help me listen more. <laughs> right. I have no idea what you're saying. It sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. 
Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people get overwhelmed by that. And, and, and again, like, I think most, most advisors, and I think this is most entrepreneurs because I, I'm in big circles with super successful people, like entrepreneurs and masterminds. And like, I think everyone has a part of the imposter syndrome, which is why it's coined, you know, like the imposter syndrome. I, I swear it wasn't like, didn't have a name back then when I used to think I'm, I'm a fraud, but right. um, now it's like the imposter syndrome. Everyone knows about the imposter syndrome and no matter, no matter how successful you are, we all kind of have it right. There's always a part of us that have a little bit of that. Like, how did I get here? And am I really good enough to be here? Um, but I think like a lot of advisors that I meet, even if they're having a successful business, they feel like they're not there. They haven't arrived. They're not good enough. They're not wealthy enough. They're not blank insert, whatever enough. Right. And so when it comes to wealth, especially like, obviously everybody wants a team and you as an advisor need a team, but also for your clients, but what, what are some of the skills or what are some of the strategies when it comes to profit? If you can give us a system or, or what it is that you recommend so that they can not just build wealth. Cause they kind of know about that, but I think we would agree on this as, as business coaches to actually create a higher, higher revenue and higher profit within the business so that the wealth part is kind of easy because that part they're good at. They just need more money. Right. So what would, what, can you give us a step-by-step on the profit side? Like what would you recommend? Well, people always want to get to like too big, but you have to get really small. Like what is that budget, your personal budget, your business budget, and that growth plan? Right. So when I look at that nine times out of 10, I'll ask someone if they have a plan and they're like, I have a plan. Okay. Let me see the plan. Well, it's in my head. Okay. Well, that's not a plan. (laughs) That's an idea. So the first thing you want to do is get really clear. Everything works back down to a formula. When I think about business, Robin, I think about this combination lock. Remember these from school? Mm -hmm. So I have a combination lock, one little tick off and this guy would not open. Right. So you could have your, you know what your investment strategy is, but if your marketing strategy isn't attracting that ideal qualified client, you can market all day long. You're just throwing money out the window. So one little tick off, this won't open. So it's looking at your sales, your marketing, your operations, and your finance. Sales boils down to who is that ideal qualified client. And as a, as a, service provider, I have to look at how many clients do I need to talk to to get one qualified lead, right? One qualified lead coming into the business. We know live, right? When you do old school networking is 10 to one, 10 conversations to one sale. Online, it's 20 to one. You have 20 people coming into your, on your list to get one qualified person. Now that doesn't say not a client. You're talking about a qualified lead. Qualified lead. Mm-hmm. Now, no one says that qualified lead is ready to move right. their assets or start building their assets or, you know, so you have to go, okay, well, then if I'm doing 20 to one and that one might not be the one, I got to really double down on how many people I'm seeing. So, it, again, it doesn't have to be hard. It has to be strategic. And there is where inside those little tiny details, because if you look at this combination lock, it's not all big numbers. There's little tiny lines, right? And remember being in school and you fly by it and it's like, ah, it didn't open. That's the same way with your finances, with business and the way that we make it happen. So when I'm looking at my clients, there's a couple of things that I see that we are wasting valuable, precious time. We're spending dollar time on penny jobs. And so as someone building, helping other people build their finances, are you checking your email? Are you working your schedule? Are you booking your travel arrangements? I don't do any of that. That's not worth my time. 
I have on my um, a little sticky note that says, what's the highest income producing activity only you can do, right? So if I look at my highest income producing activity is this, is talking to clients, being on the phone with clients, speaking, being out in the world to meet clients. All speaking is, is a marketing um, foundation, right? So many people go, oh, I'm going to be a speaker, be famous. Well, good luck with that. Less than 10% of my revenue comes from speaking fees but 100% of my revenue comes from speaking, right? So when I look at how are you getting in front of those people that matter and the people that make a difference, right? Then it goes down to what's the lifetime value of that customer? So many advisors work so hard to sign a client up and then they're not maintenancing the account. They're not really looking at, well, what does Susie have in assets now and how can we double that? right? Does she need to invest more? Is there something more strategic I could do? I double and triple my clients' sales and revenues by working inside their existing customer base. Quit chasing new ones. Take care of the ones that you do have, right? Look at what their ideal, um, that lifetime value is for that, for one of your clients and start playing a game. I got really good at let me let me just pause you there because sometimes um this language lifetime value, I think they know, but just sometimes we, you know, because we do online marketing and all this stuff, we talk lifetime value a lot. I just want to make sure listeners understand what we're talking about. So it's really cool with financial advisors, especially because your lifetime value is ridiculous. And I'm very jealous because I don't do asset center management anymore. But um, when you have a client, let's say you have a million dollars under management and your fee is one percent, that's ten thousand dollars a year. But if you keep that client, I was gonna say 10 years, that's a hundred thousand, but most of you will keep them for 20 or when you sell your business, you end up getting two times revenue, right? So you might have them for 20 years, that's 200,000 and that's producing 10,000 in revenue. And then you get another 20,000 on the sale of the book, right? So we just said the lifetime value of one $1 million client could be 220,000. Hopefully I did the math right, but that's a huge lifetime value. Whereas, you know, most people in the real world without recurring revenue, don't go anywhere near that. And so sometimes I have women come into my program And, you know, they're like freaking out about the fee. And I'm like, well, if you get one client, you know, even if that money doesn't hit your bank account in the next three, six months, like as long as you don't super suck at delivering the value, which most of the women here don't super suck at delivering the value. That's actually what they're best at is delivering on the value is that they're going to have a lifetime value there. It's just, we get caught up with the like immediacy of like, I need the, I need the revenue, I need the cash flow, I need the cash flow. But it's like, if you really get the right people and you said this, and I love that Susie is that you get the right people in have a long long lifetime value and you do the right things with them, which you're usually good at, then you have like ROI on anything. It's so easy to ROI. What I've found is the biggest struggle that a lot of the women who come to me is, it's actually that they're great at the deliverable and they're great at, you know, at taking care of the client. Not always good at, like you said, pulling more money out of the book. I would call call it pulling more money out of the book, meaning that client needs more services. Like you don't, you, you, you service them and you tell them what their performance is and all these things, but you don't know how to pull more money out of them. And you forget about it because after a few years, it's just kind of like, yeah, they have three other advisors, but you kind of forgot. Um, but that's still, they're decent at that. But what they're really, what I've noticed is women who come to me, they're really not great at is attracting the first, the right person to begin with. So you said ideal client. That's something I talk about all the time as well, because if you could just start off right with the marketing effort you're putting out there anyway to the right person and your lifetime value could be even 50 grand, let alone hundred grand, let alone 220,000, holy crap, golden. 
golden, golden, golden. Instead, they just do a numbers game and try to talk to everybody and anybody, especially referrals that aren't necessarily right. So what, give them a piece on that is just like, what's the how on that? I have a special way of teaching you. I'm sure yours is different, but what's the how in regards to like attracting that ideal client? Well, I want to just clarify it's ideal qualified, right? Because so many students come to me and go, I'm talking to my ideal client. Mm, I don't think so, right? When you look at if they're having a challenge inside of building their business. So you've got to drill deep inside of who that client is from how much money, not just how much money they have, but how much free cash flow do they have, right? The number every entrepreneur gives me is 100 grand. Okay, 100 grand in California is nothing. 100 grand in New York is nothing. In Florida is nothing, right? Maybe in Idaho it's something. Maybe not even Idaho. Idaho is getting pretty expensive too, right? Iowa. And you go, okay. 100,000, you're talking about 100,000 that they have discretion. Yeah, I'm just saying if they want to make a hundred thousand dollars to right? make a hundred thousand from one client. Yeah. Well, who's the ideal client? She makes a hundred grand. Okay. But oh, you're talking about, okay. Earning. So they earn a hundred grand a year. Okay. Got it. Right. So if they earn a hundred grand a year, that doesn't necessarily mean they have any free cash flow at the end of the right. year. No, it's like invest. Yeah, exactly. But some people think, oh my God, that's a lot of money. No, it's not. There's no free cash flow. Right. And is that dual income, single income? So I, I want everyone on here to think about who is that person that first, I got to love and adore the clients I work with. I am too old to be pushing people uphill. Right. <laughs> I don't want to convince people, cajole people. Right. So what are like list out everything how much free cash flow do they have? How, what kind of vacations do they like? You know, what are their hot buttons? What's their retirement goals? Like everything's so crystal clear. And every year, Robin, we get clearer and clearer and clearer. I think I can't get any more clear. And then we start, we get, you know, even more minute. Yeah, and same, yeah. too, right. Is because I want to go fishing for those people specifically. I'd rather say no to a hundred people and say yes to one right? To find that one versus having a hundred leads coming into your business. And now you got to follow up with everybody that is not qualified, right? So one, when I'm looking for that client, get very, very clear, make sure they're qualified, which is always, I don't care what business that you're in. It's a dollar amount, right? It's a free cash flow amount that they can invest, that they're not going to miss. That is, I'm not going to think about it. Making sure that you keep going back to that customer. I Now I review quarterly, um, with my wealth advisor, but it's, it's, he's asking me, what do I want to do? I don't know what I want to do. I want to make more money. I want to leverage it. What do I need to do? Like I'm doing everything I know how over here as an entrepreneur, I'm coming to you because you're the expert. Bring me something, show me my plan, show me how I could do this quicker, faster, show me how I, re- I can retire quicker, faster, like really speak into the language of who that ideal qualified client is versus just going, I only want to work with people that have, you know, a million dollars a year to invest. Oh, okay, well, can't you get someone there? I've, I'm a multimillionaire and I was not born this way, right? I had to learn, get my mindset right around wealth is my birthright get my discipline right around saving and investing and making that a priority, right? Part of that's trained and part of part of it's learned. It's, it can all be learned, but are you helping your clients get there inside of that conversation? Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. So give me some more on like the number stuff, because I want to, I mean, maybe I made that up because I said that at the beginning, like profiting, know your numbers. But for me, like I said, I mean, when I felt like if I have more clarity on numbers and it's not just the dollars, it's the lead. Right. And you, you alluded to this and, and I'll go back a step because at least when I started in the financial industry back in 2000 and 
seven, basically I started, I got licensed in 2006, but starting in 2007, they gave me this 10, three, one rule, right. And which you just basically more or less without saying the, the words is bullshit because it all depends. Right. So right. what they said is like, you talk to 10 people, you get three appointments, you get one client. And that sounds great, except the numbers did not add up that way. And, and if you're not clear about who the ideal client is, and then you're just getting 10 random people and you get one client that's worth a hundred bucks and one client that's worth a hundred thousand dollars, very big difference. Right. And so you said online, it's like 20 to one, but that's just to get a lead. So um, how do you help people get clear on their numbers and what are some KPIs, key performance indicators that they need to think about and look at like religiously, so they get really clear on that and you know where to put their attention or their dollars. Awesome. So one, we have something called the cash calculator. I created this spreadsheet for myself because I wanted to know how many qualified leads do I have to come in to hit my revenue goal? So I take all the headache out and just give you a spreadsheet. We look at here's your revenue goal and it's based on your closing, Robin. So is it 1031? Or is it 26.2? Is it 26.1? What, what's the number for right. you personally? When you first start, everybody sucks, right? I sucked. I wasn't even closing 10%. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is harder than I thought, right? So you have to know what your number is and what your close is. If you speak to one, you know, two people, what happens to them, right? How long is it from contact to contract, right? So every industry is different. So my higher end coaching programs, it might take a year for someone to finally decide to say yes, right? They're paying $150,000 to work with me. They're going to try other things. And then they come back and go, you were right, Susie, I should have just did this, you know, a year ago. I know, but you got to be ready when you're ready. Now, not everybody takes a year, but from contact to contract, there is a lifespan, minimum three months, to do an assessment, to really show them the possibility, to really, to close that client. But then I don't have to worry about that sell after that first year, after that, that sign-up time. So for me, when I look at our numbers, so when we're doing an event, we're closing 80% of qualified leads, right? So 80% of the people I'm speaking to, if you're qualified, we're closing. And so my goal has always been, I want more qualified, more qualified, more qualified. I spend more per lead. So I'm looking at every single day, every single week, every single month, how many qualified leads came into our business. And we can tell that based on the algorithm of things that they do. We have an assessment they can take. Did they take the assessment? Did they abandon the assessment? Did they follow through with the assessment? So we're looking at all those analytics, which is what Ron was talking about, those key performance indicators. But on a high level, we're looking at how many people came into our website, how many people did the assessment, how many people completed the assessment, and the assessment qualifies them or not, spits them out. If they're not qualified, they go on to this other journey. If they're qualified, they get to have an appointment with me. Right. So all that can be done online. So we're not wasting time chasing people on the phone. Right. Are we using technology to help you um, get those qualified leads so that they can book on your call, book on your appointment so that you're not wasting dollar time on penny jobs? Right. Or do you have someone else who can do your pre-appointment screening again so you're not spending dollar time on penny jobs? Like if I remove 50% of the minutia off of every entrepreneur's plate, we would have more increased sales. But we think we're going to save money. Let me go do these things. No, those things aren't bringing us money. Don't do those, right? The first person I always bring in 
is an operations person, right, to help me do all the the meat and potato stuff that needs to get done. They're more expensive than an, a virtual assistant or a vital assistant, but they're worth it because they save me so much time and energy. I don't have to train them. I always tell my team, if um one of if I have to tell you how to do your job, one of us isn't needed, right? Don't hire people that you have to tell how to do their job. Hire people with that skill set. We might pay a little bit more, but it saves us a ton of money at the end. Go, oh. Let me cool. So let me unpack those two things because really there were two things there. So one is qualifying the the prospect really, and this is why you say ideal qualified lead um, is it really qualifying them? And I like using that as a verb because it's like okay, it's not just that they happen to be qualified. Like you have to know whether or not they're qualified, and obviously you can dif- use different marketing tactics and strategies to attract more of the quality. But no matter what, depending, if you're going to go more to the masses, I will tell you, because I've done a lot of Facebook ads, that you're going to get people who are not qualified. And even though many of you are not doing Facebook ads, you know, you're going to get referrals and you're going to get people who find you or you go to a networking event or you put something out there and that people find you who are not qualified. And what happens typically, and, and Susie's mentioning this, I want to just make sure you caught this, is that you get on a call with them. And this is what she's saying when she said, um, what do you say, penny for dollar? What did you call it? Uh, dollar time on penny jobs. I wrote it down. Dollar time on penny jobs, meaning that you're spending your valuable time doing things where you're not going to make much money back, right? There's not much of a return. So you're wasting time. And that brings her to the second thing, which is the, the human resources, the people, but even going back with the qualifying. So I want to give you guys a piece of like, well, what do you do? How do you do that? Because some of you aren't even using things like Calendly, which you know, sometimes it's a compliance thing. Sometimes you can get away with it. You just don't know about it. But I remember when I did a webinar years ago and at the end of the webinar, it was like the one thing you must know to get more qualified appointments. And it was like to use Calendly. Like it was like such a silly thing from like a digital marketer's perspective, like duh. But for advisors, and I'm not saying it's because you're dumb. I'm saying it's because you're not taught these like little things that can make a big difference. But having a calendar app, whether it's Calendly or something else, where you can even survey them before they get an appointment to know if they're qualified or not. And you can even like have someone on your team, like send them a message, sorry, you know, like, or you're going to talk to someone else based on how they answer questions. And there's other things that'll do it automatically. Calendly, you can just kind of see it so you can have your team do it. But um, that's a way to qualify people. Just survey them, ask them questions before they get on the call. And it's okay to hold that high standard and be like, Hey, you get on a call if you reach these certain criteria with me. And if right. not, no problem. You get on the call with my team. Like people feel bad about that. Like it has to be all fair. If you're not best at helping someone who has $10 as you are with someone with a million, it's a waste of their time and yours to get on a call with them. So one qualify those leads. You have to actually do something to qualify them. And number two, hire the right people right? Because then you're not doing these penny tasks, basically doing things that you shouldn't be doing. That's just wasting time when you can go get one client that could actually have a lifetime value of a hundred grand. I just want to make sure they got that. (laughs) Cause that was some good nuggets, Susie. Go ahead. Thank you for breaking that down. Well, most of us are marketing to fans, right? Your social media is not ideal clients. They're not ideal qualified clients. They're fans, right? Even people, when you go to networking groups, they may love, love, love you. Who cares if you love me at the end of the day, if they're not using your product or service, do you need those friends? Do you not need those friends? Like making sure that you're spending your time at the right events, right? Making sure that you're asking for the right referrals. I would much rather not qualify, right? To And have someone waste your time and their time to go, oh, I can't afford it. That's the worst because mm-hmm. we can sell anything, but if they can't afford it, no one's going to buy, 
right? So making sure that you're really clear that fans are not qualified clients, right? If I look at other key performance indicators, right, for, for building your financials and your financial scorecard is looking inside of how many leads you need every day, every, every day, every week, every month. How many appointments do you need every day, every week, every month for you to hit your revenue goal? And how much does that average sale need to be? What does the average ticket need to be? What does the average sale need to be? Right. So that you can then base everything on data. Right. Once I got out of my feelings about sales and my feelings about my business, who cares? Feelings come and go. Right. The reality is at the end of the day is what result do we want to produce? And so being that analytical and people that are attracted to this industry are analytical, but let's take that next step for your business so that you are measuring your effectiveness. Now, it is scary, right? Because I know at the end of the day, if I don't hit my revenue goal, I just didn't do what I was supposed to do, right? I might have taken extra long lunch or I might have taken Friday off or I might have, you know, piddled away my time because I choose to, right? But most times we don't choose to, we just do. And so, again, looking at what are the things that only you can do that are going to bring those that money in. Then tracking that data, right, every single day, every single, um, every single day, every single week, every single month. So, again, you can look at the algorithm of your particular business. And then for this industry, what is that residual then, right, managing that. And then finding those qualified clients through your other qualified clients, you know, my friends are very similar to me, right? In my wealth strategy and looking for someone who has a level of, level of expertise, right? So how can you go back, nurture those relationships to get more referrals? We don't ever want to ask, right? I don't want to ask, but that's how we all grow is who, do, who else do you know that I can help? It's a gift. It is a gift when you teach someone to start building their wealth and working on their wealth strategy, right? You're not selling, you're serving, and that's a huge distinction when I look at, like you said, people having the not enough, I'm not good enough, right? There's never enough. Part of that is just the worthiness of feeling you deserve that deservability to ask for what you want or ask for what you need. Love it. Awesome. And I think a lot of this um, comes down to how you position yourself. And it's just reminding me, we actually have an event called Position Yourself for Profits. And and when, if you're not clear about who you want to attract, you're not clear about what those KPIs are, like, what are you supposed to measure? And, and unfortunately, a lot of the broker dealers give the wrong tools. Like, uh, like they'll tell you to measure things because they don't qualify. Right. So it's like how many appointments I remember when I first started, which was years ago, but when I first started, it was like, I had to get 12 appointments a week. And then they expected to only have six show up. So like they expected a show rate of 50%, which is crap. Right. And that's just like what we just were given. Like you go, cause you're booking a meeting with anybody in everybody. And then, you know, you, six of them aren't even, you know, half of them aren't even going to show up. Right. So if you're not like, if you're not clear about who that person is, and then you're, you're, you're positioned as the gum at the bottom of their shoe that no one, like no one sees as, as high level, and then they're not going to show up. And then you have horrible KPIs and like, you don't know what you need to do in order to get the result because there's not any consistency. So what I love about what you're saying, Susie is like, okay, well, first we need to get clear. Well, who is that qualified person? We actually have to qualify them and determine like, what are the rules that are going to uh, kind of allow them to be worthy of getting my time, you know, and also because it's going to benefit them. And then really looking at, well, what are those conversions from those appointments to know that, okay, this is the activity, money, I call it money-making activity. This is a money-making activity I have to do. And I know like if I take off Friday, like, and I'm not doing it, it's going to affect my sales because I know if I do this many appointments or with qualified 
prospects, I'll get this much money on average, right? And that's how you have a sustainable business. So um, I love that because I think a lot of it is very much activity and the women who have a more sustainable business, they're doing six figures plus because they, they're just getting referrals. Like you're talking about actually asking for them, but they just kind of get them because they're good at what they do. Well, that also has to be a calculated thing. Like you have to be the, you know, be proactive to get those referrals because otherwise you have no predictability or scalability in your business. Cause that's what I find a lot of the, the women who come to me that are like, well, I'm doing well, I have half a million dollars in revenue, but I don't know how to get my next client still after 25 years, right? Because it's like, we're still not looking at those numbers and you kind of just, you know, talented yourself to get to that number by being a hard worker and being in the right place and, and have a recurring revenue model. But if you can be intentional about it and use what Susie's telling you right now, then you could really scale fast. So good stuff. A lot of times too, in your profit, when you're looking at profitability, profitability doesn't come from one thing, right? So looking at someone's profit and loss, how much money are you wasting just because you can, right? Oh, it's a write-off. I can do that because it's a write-off. It's a write-off. It's a write-off. It's a write-off. And then at the end of the year, there's no money left. Well, the end of the year, there's money left. That's your executive bonus, right? That's money that you can put in your own retirement account into your own wealth strategy, buying another piece of property. And so when I look at clients' P&Ls, I can always find at least 20 to 30% they're wasting, well, 20 to 30% can be my profitability, can be your profitability to go, oh, what, why am I spending this? Is it make sense to spend it, right? You might be doing Google ads, you might be doing social media, but is your social media ROIing? Is there something from it versus who cares that you built more fans, right? If you have somebody else managing your social media, which you should, by the way, right? So <laughs> it's a great referral source for business. And looking at how do you quantify each one of those? So we look at industry standards and there's a percentage in that every CPA, every bookkeeper can help you figure out for your industry, your trade. There's a percentage that you should be spending on certain things, right? On team member, what percentage of the gross sales should that be? On advertising, what percentage of the gross sales should that be? Now with your law, your you know, rules, you might not be able to do advertising, but what, how else do we do that? Referral, referral gifts, whatever the, whatever it is that you do. And so start looking at your line items to go, is that really necessary? Right. Especially when you look at the pandemic, a lot of people looked at their P&L and then they just cut everything. Mm, don't cut things that are making you money. Right. So you want to look at a really great coach, like Robin is something that will make you money. That's not a an expense, right? When I look at our jobs, we're a profit center because we're going to find the money, show you the money, leverage the money, look at it differently, look at how can I do double in half the amount of time. So I'm going to say that there's money all around you and the money all around you is in the little details, just like this combination lock, your P&L to look at what am I doing? And if you're, you don't have a P&L, well, you need a P&L because we could be writing things off that you don't even know that we can write off. And so again, um, more revenue to build my wealth. Love it. Awesome. This is good stuff. Well, tell them where to find you. This has been great. Thank you. So you can find me by my name, Susie, S-U-S-I-E Carter, C-A-R-D as in dinero dollar E-R. You can find my website is Susie Carter. All my social is Susie Carter. Um, I'm the profit coach. I would love to support you in looking at where's the money you're leaving on the table. How do we leverage it, monetize it, scale it, grow it, but more importantly, explode it because wealth is your birthright. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you all for joining us and we'll see you next time on Growing Your Financial Business the Woman's Way. Bye. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.